So this is a continuation of the conversation I had with Kate Middleton last week. In the course of that conversation, I realized that Kate is the poetry editor for Island Magazine. And we had a little chat at the very end, so about an hour into talking, just about what is she looking for in terms of poems for Island? I feel like I don't get to talk to enough poetry editors on here. So this was just a very welcome discovery and happy surprise in the course of the conversation. It's interesting that one of the themes in that chat with Kate was this idea of prestige. I think for poetry journals in Australia, your islands, your meandrins, Australian book reviews, your overlands, something else that I'm almost certainly forgetting. Rabbit. You forgot Rabbit. You remember the crew that published your book? Yeah, you forgot them. They're up there in terms of prestige. Uh, And I know what it's like to submit to these journals and I know what it's like to be rejected by them. Um, And it can be really disheartening sometimes, even if you tell yourself it doesn't matter, I don't have any expectations, of course they're going to reject me, and then the rejection comes through and you're just like, oh god. Um, It's hard. And so I wanted to split this bit of the conversation out and share it with you just in acknowledgement of how disheartening that process can be and how much, I know for myself anyway, I just wanted to hear from these people directly because it's one thing to get a form rejection in your inbox unfortunately something 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 you know you don't read it because you can read unfortunately and need that's all you read but for me I just want to know like who are these people and what is it that they actually want so I put some of those questions to Kate we also talked a little bit at the start here about the who you know aspect of poetry publication So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw to Kate now and then I'm going to come back later uh, in the episode and give you my hot takes on submitting to poetry journals very much as a a non-expert but someone who's been around the traps. When we were emailing, you mentioned that one of the things you've been thinking about recently is the who you know aspects of literary Mm. scenes. And I would really just love to hear you say anything about that because I think that is, if it's not an open secret, then, well, yeah, I think it's an open secret. Like there's a, a dance that we do around meritocracy and then there's a reality yeah yeah um so i think about that who you know stuff from a couple of perspectives obviously you know i'm teaching i am editing for island oh you're editing for island okay yeah i've been last year um become the, the actual poetry editor and not the acting poetry editor right um i sort of have a a Thing I'm hoping to do in sort of making some chat books at some stage um, and I'm just I'm 
super conscious of how much um, just accessibility has all these different parts to it. Like, you know, there are people that just don't even know what's involved in submitting to a journal because no one's ever told them. And, you know, they'll send anything, anything. <laughs> um, versus like who gets asked to do teaching or reading or uh, be in an anthology or be in a journal, etc. Um, so all of those things I'm really conscious of. Um, I think also sort of having come through sort of the MFA side of things in the States and you know, there used to be, because I was at Michigan, which was, I believe, the number two program. Um, <laughs> whatever. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Um, do an MFA if they'll pay you. Don't do an MFA if they won't pay you. That's the only thing. Um, but there was always these rumours that, like, publishing houses had a separate pile that Iowa grads went into to any other MFA program. So they could immediately throw them away? Oh, no, the Iowa ones were the ones that got looked at straight away to see if there's anything hot there to take on. And I was like, you know, there's things like that. Like, there's so many different ways in which who you know and, again, prestige get sort of placed on things. Um, You know, I was aware that when I moved to Sydney, I didn't know anyone in Sydney, um, but I'd been in touch with Fiona Wright because she'd been the editor the fire season and so she let me stay on her couch while I was figuring out what I was going to do um, and now she's a dear friend and like you know there's this thing where if I do something I don't want to like not have my dear friend involved but also actually is that the way things should happen um, and how do we actually go and find voices that we need to be hearing from um, when there's this real sense of coterie and closed circles and people writing about their friends and um, publishing their friends and letting their friends read and giving the jobs to their friends and all of that. Mm. So I think because I, I still don't really feel like I belong in Sydney. Um, got lots of friends here, have a cat, so looks like I live here. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I still sort of feel, you know, my Melbourne self from all that time ago. Um, so when, when I'm thinking about Ireland, I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, I want to read everything and like, I would rather have more submissions than less submissions. I just like, I'm really interested in all the things that are happening. Um, and I, I'm wanting to think about, you know, are there ways that I can have poems by people who haven't published books yet? Are there ways I can have poems by, people who are kind of old now and people might have forgotten still write good poems. Um, are there ways in which I can really just think about all the different balances at play um, all in the scope of like the 10 to 12 poems I get to pick for usually two issues of the year and then the third one goes to all the Gwen Howard stuff. So it's like complicated and juggling and thinking about all of that. Um, and then also, I think there is, and again, it's just because people are stretched thin with teaching. I've always seen that there's this tendency for teachers to focus most of their attention on the people they've deemed the most likely to succeed, which I feel like is as much about their own legacy as about the students. And, you know, I, I, I just want to invest in everyone and be able to say, you know, this is me being as transparent as I can. This is what it is to submit to journals and 
This is what it feels like when you get rejections. Why don't you turn it into a joke where you're trying to get rejections from all the most prestigious magazines in the world? Done. Oh, yeah. I used, to, I used to, when they physically had to do paper ones, I had, like, my bathroom was, like, wallpapered oh, with rejections. Yeah. Bless. Well, that's, I mean, this seems like a, a if you've listened this far into the podcast, then you deserve, <laughs> uh, you deserve a, a treat for listening. So I feel like it is too good of an opportunity not to ask you then, because I didn't realise you were editing for Ireland. Um, like I say, I, I miss really obvious stuff all the time. But I'm also <laughs> just not on social media. Right, so right, right. I don't put out the calls or anything. Right. So I have to ask you the same question I asked Toby Fitch. Uh, what are you looking for? Um, this is on behalf of people... Imaginary people, not people like me. I would never submit to Ireland. <laughs> but like, you know, it is it is scary. While while you're thinking about an answer to that, um, I'm trying to think about if there's anything I could say that would be useful to people who have never submitted to a journal before, um, and are thinking about how do you even do that. Um, and of course, the advice is always like, well, you need to read the journal first. People don't do that. People don't do it, but it, it also unfortunately is true, I think. Um, because I think you it's can... true to a degree. I think also if you're reading books of poems and you're looking at the lists of I feel an affinity mm. to this poet, where have they published? Like that's, that's also a, a way, way to, to do, do it. it. Yeah. Um, like that's you want to have some breadcrumbs you're following, but yeah. I mean obviously subscribe to Ireland. You know, obviously. They, they need breeders yeah. to survive, etc. Yeah. Um, and just the state of like oh, let's not get into grants i know you've been doing episodes on money and things recently and just <laughs> yeah. what it takes for a journal to keep going in the psychological perspective when like they get a year's grant every time they've applied for a four-year grant and saying well okay so i've got a job for another year and i have to immediately start doing this again um doesn't affect me so much i float around but mm. um you know the real people at the journals who do the managing editing stuff like that's huge um so yes subscribe read island obviously uh but so what I'm looking for, um, I go back to this phrase from the critic Owen Barfield, who talks about a poem, um, when you read a really good poem, you experience a felt change of consciousness. Um, and that's not dissimilar to Emily Dickinson, it takes the top of your head off, mm. makes my whole body cold. Mm. Um, and when I think about that felt strange of consciousness, it's something that is genuinely strange to me, as well as something that is... Um, just sort of reorients my idea on a subject. Um, and then thinking about, so I like to say, you know, I want poems that are in some way urgent, but I think urgency implies a certain pitch and actually some very quiet poems um, can be really urgent. Some really well-made poems that are playing with some more formalist features can have just as much sort of um, wrenching emotion behind them as those that wear that on their sleeve. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm always interested in things that are a little bit feral. Feral. Um, yeah. Cool. And things that are not quite tame. <laughs> um, I think that if a poem is failing in some way, it should be failing in a way that expresses who the poet is. Um, like, you know, I, that's why I love doing imitation exercises because the moment where I fail to, like, entirely capture the voice of someone else is where, like, sort of urgently I feel like, oh, that's that's something of me there. Mm -hmm. 
cuts a glimpse. And I, I haven't put restrictions. Like they said, oh, do you want to have like a maximum lines or anything like that? I've said, no, I'm like, I'm interested in seeing the long poems, even if it means that, you know, if we have a long poem, we might only be able to have eight poems, one issue or whatever it is. Um, I really like that idea of not having a standard journal length poem, that there's not a particular... Like I'm pretty wide ranging in the people that I'm interested in. Like, you know, they're, they're all on my shelves. Yeah. I try to read everyone and that's why I'll never have any money. Um, <laughs> but everyone should go to the library and borrow books from the library and libraries should buy the books. Um, so, sorry, I was listening to things about histories of libraries recently. Oh, okay. Yeah. How important it is to actually borrow books as well as to buy them. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I sort of, they ask me, you know, what restrictions do you want to put it? I'm like, no line limit, um, maybe up to five poems for my sanity. And, you know, I've had people send me 60-page things. and Five poems seems really generous. It seems like a lot. Yeah, but I think when you are putting this pressure on three poems, people are throwing in the ones they think are safe. If you say mm -hmm. five poems, then they might genuinely give you an array of what they're doing and they might be willing to take some risk. Um and that risk might be not in the way that we think of risk is like, oh, the loudest, most crazy poem, but just sort of this thing that's not so representative of what you might think of me doing or mm. whatever it is. Mm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess, and I, I sort of, when I read them all, I, I huddle up and I, I just read hundreds of poems in a day. And that is sort of, it's the healthiest way to do it but it's a way in which I can sort of see what's staying alive and sparking um but also seeing what relationships I'm seeing in in that like I'll try to do the first read of everything just after it's closed for submissions and then over a weekend just read everything um I think that's a little bit from one of my old teachers Linda Gregerson used to be the poetry editor at, Atlant at the Atlantic and she did it for a couple of years she read 20,000 poems a year Jesus she Christ. read them all herself, didn't hire a reader or anything like that. She said, yeah, they were terrible poems. They were great poems. They were poems that I loved and could never publish, the whole thing. But that that experience gave her a chance to see everything that was going on in American poetry in that case. Mm. And just like, you know, I would rather have more, even though it's also more heartbreaking for me, especially like, you know, I'll make the long, long list and then a long list and then a short list and then the actual list and, you know, write to all these people, which I do feel like I'm a bit too slow in getting back to everyone with um, when I want to make personal comments on things that I can't publish. Um, you know, I take a couple of months sometimes. Oh, no. <laughs> um, basically, I run up to about against when we're actually publishing. There's always I've got to have it out by the time that the next issue is out. Right. But yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm looking to be surprised and moved and to think about things from a different point of view. All right. So last, last thing. To the people who you have had to cull from the long, long list, the long list, the short list, would you like to, to say anything to them about the fact that they've gotten that rejection email and maybe you're feeling a little bruised, a little sad? 
Well, usually I will try to say that I, I really like this work and that it has been on this close to publication. And sometimes um, it's, I, if there's something in particular that I think, I think this has just gone a little bit awry here. Like I think there's just a sore spot that I'm just gonna press on for a moment here to show you that something's not working. I'd love to see it again if you resolve that. Um, so I've had those and I've, I've published one of those that has come back to me, sore spot removed. Um, <laughs> amputation complete, no. <laughs> <laughs> Healed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, like it's, I think we get really transactional because everyone is stressed and time is terrible and everyone is underpaid and scarcity and all the things I was saying earlier, but like, I see getting to read everyone's poems before they're published with the hope that they will be published is such a privilege. And like, you know, if I've said to you, submit again, I mean it. it it's still bloody hard. Like I'm getting about a, you know, over a thousand poems per issue and Holy I shit. can only publish a few of them. But, oh God! <laughs> I mean, remember, so I've got the generous five submissions per that's person. That's true, but still. Uh, so it's not a thousand submissions. It's but yeah, a lot of people are getting that, oh and my God. I, I just, I, I'm hungry to see what everyone's doing. Me again, back with advice you didn't ask for. Something that Kate said in that chat was people don't know what's involved in submitting to a journal because no one's ever told them. If you are in that category, if, if you're thinking about doing this and you're just completely at sea and not quite sure what the conventions are um, and how to approach it, I'm going to recommend to you an early episode of the wonderful podcast Lee Ricketts by Matthew Buckley-Smith. Um, which I am sometimes on now, so I am indeed promoting myself at the same time. <laughs> but I wasn't on at this point. I, I didn't even know Matthew when he made this episode. Uh, episode 14, Motherfucker of the Arts. About halfway through that episode, Matthew puts together a really simple and practical list of do's and don'ts when submitting to poetry journals. And of course, he's talking about poetry journals in the US, but... I listened back to it this morning and everything applies in Australia. You just replace MFA with PhD and it's the same conversation. Um, so I encourage you to listen to that. I won't steal Matthew's thunder too much by reiterating what he said there. But I think the main piece of advice that I would, I would really underscore is keep it simple doesn't have to be simple in terms of the poetry but in terms of all that peripheral stuff your letter to the editor your bio any other you know your font choice <laughs> any of that stuff keep it simple it's going to make it easier remember there are 999 other poems um, don't give the editor any reason to dismiss you in any of that peripheral supporting information so to add to all that, what I thought I would share with you today is just some thoughts that I had thinking about this question 
this question that I do hear from poets, which is, why do journals keep rejecting me? What's, what's wrong with me? My poems are just as good as their poems. My poems better than what's in that journal. How come I keep getting rejected? I really can't account for the individual taste of the editor, but what I think I can do, again, as somebody who has submitted to a bunch of places, been rejected from a bunch of places, accepted in a couple, is just talk about what I think are some simple rules of thumb. I have been on the other side of a submissions inbox briefly, and we weren't getting a thousand poems, but we were getting plenty of stuff. And even in that scenario, it was interesting to see there was this need to find reasons to not include stuff. So here are some reasons why the poem might have come back to you. The first one, the simplest one, is that no one else has ever seen this poem before. You've never shared it with anyone, so you've never had any feedback. It's just been you and the poem. You've decided on your own that it's good. It's good to have confidence in one's work, but really, I think there's so little to lose from showing a poem to somebody else. It doesn't even have to be a fellow poet. You can get a lot from showing a poem to somebody who doesn't read poetry that often. And if you've got nobody that you can think of to fill that role, then I would advise that you address that first before you worry about sending submissions out. The poets that I love, you know, when I think about people like the Pam Browns of the world, they're writing in conversation with, with other writers and their work is stronger for that. I guess in a way I'm telling you to go out and make friends and that's really annoying advice, but your writing life will get richer, I guarantee you, in a way that no acceptance in a poetry journal is going to be able to beat. And there are other, um, there are other benefits to doing this. When the poem is with your friend, it's not with you, so you're getting a break from it. You're not staring at it every day. You're not tinkering with it. Uh, you have time to cool on it. And also, I always find that when I think about doing this, when I've got a poem and I'm thinking I'd really want to, I really want to send that to Lou and see what she thinks, um, I see the poem in a totally different way at that moment because I'm thinking about her response and that makes me change things. So even as a thought exercise, I think this is really useful. So show somebody, show somebody the poem. Related to that, a reason that your poem might have come back to you is that it's a first draft or it's a near first draft. Again, this is really annoying advice and it's coming from somebody who used to send her first drafts out all the time. But the way I think about this now is, you know, do I think that other people's first drafts should be published? No. I think that it's good to have sat with a poem for a couple of months, shown somebody else, done a few rounds of edits at the very least, requires patience. It's not as exciting 
And I totally get it because you so badly want to send something off when you are excited about it in that first flush of, oh my God, I got it down and this is exactly what I want to say. Um, but wait until that feeling goes away. I'm not trying to argue that it should be hard necessarily, but I do know that if you send a poem out in that first flush of romance with it, it gets accepted and published, you're going to see it and you're not going to feel good. <laughs> you're going to cringe and go, ah, this is not, yeah, I thought that was good at the time, but now I don't agree with myself anymore. And yeah, you won't feel satisfied. Another reason that your poem might have come back to you is, believe it or not, it actually doesn't fit with what the journal was looking for. And this is what they will say to you in their um, auto-reply, auto-generated um, rejection emails. They'll say, you know, it doesn't, it's not what we were looking for for the journal at this time or something. And it's really easy to be like, ah, oh, that's a lie. They hate it. Something of that nature. But the question is, do you know what they actually tend to publish? And Kate said in that, in that discussion that we had, you know, people, people don't tend to actually take the time to read the channels. <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to subscribe. You can go to the library and flick through and get a, get a sense of what this journal looks for. And I'm not even talking about tone at this point. I'm talking about things like length. What kind of style do they, do they tend to publish? Are they super experimental, avant-garde type of journal? Or are they a bit more traditional? I'm thinking about sending something into a journal at the moment. And they said they have in their submission guidelines um, we want it to sit on one page. You know, I sort of sat there and counted up the lines of one of the other poems that had been published, and that's just given me a, a, a rough guide to go on. Because I don't want them to open it up and go, oh, it's five lines too long, so we don't need to worry about this one. Let's move on to the next one. Because again, if there's a thousand other people, they're just going to be looking for reasons to not include you reasons that they can say no all right a few a few more hot takes from me i think there is definitely an a factor here that we could maybe describe as your poem might have come back to you because just something in your approach made the editor switch off and this is again back to matthew's advice in that episode motherfucker of the arts he talks about just being straightforward and simple in your letter to the editor and in your bio. I usually say something along the lines of, dear editor, you know, try to use their name if I know it. Here is a poem for your forthcoming issue. Try to use the title of the issue to show that you actually bothered to look that up. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for taking the time to consider my work. And just to echo what Matthew said, you really don't need to add any more explanation than that. You don't need to talk about what the poem 
is about or where you got the inspiration for it from. Uh, you don't need to explain it. The editor's not going to be swayed by any of that. And if you think about it, the reader's never going to get that information. So why would it make a difference to the editor? Put it this way, you don't want to end up sounding like famous poetry tough nut Robert Lowell. And I begin with an image of a seal that I think if you were to become anything else in the next life, if it had to be an animal, it'd be a seal that it adapts and seems to live without strain. I mean, is this, is this winning you over? Didn't think so. And I compare that to the... Yeah, and same holds for your bio, just keep it short and sweet. It's not going to be the thing that gets the poem over the line. And the, the final factor, which is the most depressing and the most obvious one, is that there were just many hundreds of other poems submitted to that journal at the same time. And yours was good, but it wasn't great and it didn't stand out. So we just heard from Kate that Island gets over a thousand um, poems coming through. I know when I spoke to Jess, she said Rabbit gets around a thousand. Um, I would bet that Overland gets around a thousand. I have no idea what Australian Book Review would get. I shudder to think. And this is where um, name recognition, the part that nobody really wants to talk about, is unfortunately probably a very big factor. You've probably looked at the contents pages of these journals and and thought, oh, they just they publish the same people all the time. Um, and look, I, I think that editors would probably say, yeah, you know, if I if I know someone and I know their work, um, I'm maybe going to give that poem an extra little bit of consideration. And maybe there are editors who just straight up publish people that they know or commission people that they know. There's no way that this doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I'm not going to argue that it's some kind of like blind reading process meritocracy because it just, I mean, again, I've been on the other side of that submissions email, even just the functionality of a tool like Submittable, it doesn't let you hide people's names that easily. And you can figure it out pretty quickly. Like it's, it's, unfortunately, it's just pretty easy to see who's submitting stuff. And unless you've got a whole internal process where somebody's like taking all the poems and putting them in a blind folder, which maybe people do. But look, we can't, we can't rely on that. So probably people who have name recognition are going to be published. But if you think about it, they can't do that all the time. They have to publish people they don't know as well. Otherwise, it'll be too obvious. So I have huge amounts of doubt about what I'm saying here. Um, I do remember a story from a poetry editor who told me that they went to the trouble of doing a completely blind reading uh, process and rejected a big name poetry dude. And he was not happy and got in touch to let them know that they had made a huge mistake. And uh, did, they, did they even know uh, who they were dealing with type of thing? So I guess you can't win. Don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you. But 
just to finish, I would say there is nothing wrong with submitting somewhere that's a little bit um, less well-known, you know, maybe going a couple of clicks down in terms of prestige, because if you're constantly submitting to the top, top tier places and constantly getting rejected, you're going to get disheartened and you also won't have any feedback that's useful because if you got rejected one out of a thousand, well, what does that tell you? If you submit to somewhere that maybe they got 50 poems and you get through, well, then you know that, okay, you, you are able to write a decent poem. And if you're still getting rejected from the tiny baby journals, then okay, return to step one. Find somebody to show your work to, somebody who will tell you what's up. Brace yourself and listen. So, in summation, show people, take your time, keep it simple, keep the faith. <laughs>